Welcome to A Vibrant Vision Podcast. This podcast will explore the book, A Vibrant Vision, written by Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation. Seaman Corporation is a worldwide company known for industrial fabrics, and this podcast will be an asset on the way to understanding all the book has to offer. And you will get to hear from Richard and the supporting players that have made Seaman Corporation what it is today. I am your host for this episode, Jared Ribble. Seaman Corporation decided early on to be a company that would continually reinvest in itself. For the Seaman family, this was a sink or swim type of decision. Either reinvest in themselves or they wouldn't survive. This episode, we will explore what strategic imperative has looked like for the Seaman Corporation, and hopefully you will be inspired to make reinvestment decisions in your own company. Warren Buffett once said, Someone is sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. This is the essence of continual reinvestment. Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation, tells us all about his family company's journey to continually reinvest. The strategic imperative basically is to be committed to reinvesting in your business. And as I say at the beginning of my chapter on this topic, this was epitomized by a conversation or a comment by a board member we had when we were looking at a fairly significant capital investment for the company, had been evaluating it for several years. She simply spoke up and said, you know, Dick, you either make this investment or you sell the company. And um, that was quite an awakening to uh, not only our management team, to the rest of our board members, but to the family members that were sitting in the meeting. Nobody had even thought about having to sell the company. That comment, however, stressed the fact that if you're not going to continually reinvest in your business for the future, for your technology, not only your capacity, but your technology, uh, then you should probably start thinking about how you're going to harvest the business. The good thing for Richard was that his father had set an example of reinvestment from the beginning of the company. Richard didn't have to dig far to find the inspiration he needed. As a cultural component to our company, I think that right from day one, when my father built the business, we continued to invest in it. And most of those investments were, you know, building equipment from old parts that my dad would find, coating equipment, buying uh, used looms to weave fabric and all. 1968 became quite a turning point when he discovered that there was a better way to coat industrial fabrics than liquid vinyl coatings on which the company had been built up to that, that point in time. He had heard about a process and equipment in Europe that used two hot calendar rolls to make a um, film. However, that had not been applied to fabric yet, but he had the foresight to think that he could take that equipment, make a film and apply it to nylon or polyester fabrics. So in 1968, he made the decision to spend $300,000 on a foreign piece of equipment. This is when our business was doing um, $2 $2 million a year in annual revenue. So, you know, 15% of our annual revenue, he was going to commit to this unproven technology. He purchased the equipment. It was 
delivered and installed coincidentally at the same time I had graduated with a master's degree. And he told me my first task was to make that equipment run and operate. Uh, that was a two-year process. And I learned a great deal from that process that I had not necessarily been taught in MBA school. But over the course of two years, we found ways to coat fabrics using resins that were half as expensive as the liquid coating resins were. But more importantly, to be able to use different polymers in this hot melt technology uh, that allowed us to do things our competition couldn't do and provide or produce a fabric that had better qualities. The net result of my father making that decision is that today, more than 75% of our products are made with this hot melt coating technology. Seaman Corporation is sitting in the shade of that tree Norm planted 55 years ago. Shortly thereafter, my dad had also discovered in Europe a new way to weave fabric. It was a process where the warp yarns, the fill yarns were laid across the warp yarns instead of interwoven and stitched together with a knitting line. So it was kind of a combination of weaving and knitting. Again, he took the uh, risk of purchasing that equipment and then trying to make product uh, that would could be produced much more quickly, much faster than the conventional weaving processes. And the fabric had unique characteristics that conventional weaving fabric did not have. It had better dimensional stability and it had much higher tear strength. Again, that has now become one of the standards in the industry as we've evolved that particular technology platform into what it is today. Both of these required high-risk investments, but I would call them measured investments that have allowed us to continue to advance our technology platforms. So, you know, the strategic imperative for constant reinvestment is number one, if you're going to grow your business, you have to invest for the capacity. But number two, you have to invest uh, to continue to improve your technology to stay ahead of the competition, particularly the competition in the international marketplace. While Norm's risks have paid off, there are still questions needed to be asked as they make reinvestment decisions for the future of their company. Well, I think my father. Um, you know, he was a visionary in many ways. It wasn't so much as being a visionary of where he thought the market was going as it was a visionary for the kind of products that he thought would be better products in the marketplace. When he made the investment in this hot melt equipment in Europe in 1968, he felt that the coating that would be produced would be a stronger, tougher coating than the liquid coatings that we were applying at that time. He also felt that, well, he knew that if he was successful at that, he could buy resins that were significantly less expensive than the liquid coating resins. So you improve the quality of the product and you make it a less expensive product. When he got into the weaving uh, technology, he saw... Um, a, a machine that could produce fabrics more quickly uh, so they'd be cost efficient, much more cost effective. And the product you had when you finished had better characteristics around tear strength and dimensional stability. 
So he felt that that was a product that would be better in the marketplace and hopefully could lead the marketplace to those characteristics because it was a better product. The result, as I mentioned, that particularly in the weft insertion weaving process, with the improvements that occurred in the equipment to make that product, weft insertion became a standard base cloth uh, for the industrial fabric industry and is still uh, a leading standard today because of those characteristics that are in there. So I, I saw my father as a visionary, basically from a product development standpoint, and he was willing to make the investment in the equipment that would help him do that, or he'd make his own equipment to try to <laughs> improve it. But when he saw equipment in the marketplace that nobody else yet had adopted, but he could foresee the qualities of the product that were going to be produced, he made a commitment to do that and led the industry in that way. And I think our company has continued to build on that, even though he passed away in 1978. That's a, a cultural heritage of innovation in our business. But you don't accomplish that unless you're willing to make fairly significant measured investments to continue to reinvest in your company. Key in on that word, measured. While the risks taken by Norm seemed daunting, they were measured. How do you achieve a measured risk on significant capital investment. What's important for an organization to do that, I think, is to number one, have a robust strategic planning process so that you are again, looking at what your marketplace is, what your competitive risks are, what your strengths are, and what's it going to take in your business to be able to address the future, whether they're competitive challenges, or whether there are new market growth opportunities that are out there. That leads you to trying to better understand where should you allocate your capital investment dollars. The other thing that you have is a good governance process, because if you've got a good independent outside board of directors that have great business acumen and know your business, that's the best sounding board you can have to help verify or validate these capital investments that you're going to make. So that's what I mean by measured risk, that you have a process you use that helps to clarify or allow the best direction for those capital dollars to, act, you know, to percolate to the top where you're going to allocate those dollars. And you have a vetting process, which I will say will be your outside board of directors, that listen to you and your management team along the way and help provide guidance. They will ask a lot of the very, very difficult questions. They won't necessarily early on be able to tell you the right direction, but that independent voice will ask the questions that will help you and your management team be sure you cover the basis to help minimize the risk associated with significant capital investments. The strategic planning process and the governance process helps to mitigate the risks that you're going to take with major capital investments. Now, it doesn't remove the risk. It just, again, I think the term is a measured risk versus just blanket risk taking. But the other thing that the strategic planning process combined with your governance process that becomes your sounding board does, it keeps your organization much 
better prepared to take advantage of capital investment opportunities that just surface that you don't even anticipate. Just as his father before him, Richard was going to face his own measured risk and need to make a quick decision for the technological advance of the company. I made reference to the comment that our board member made stating that, Richard, you either make this investment or you sell the company. That was addressing a capital investment we had been looking at for several years to take this hot melt coating technology that my father invested in in 1968 and make the investment that was going to significantly not only increase our capacity for that product and capability, but also increase and improve the technology itself. It was going to be much wider width. It was going to operate much more quickly, much faster, more efficient. The problem was that the original manufacturers, there were a couple of them, one in Germany and one in Switzerland at the time, no longer existed. So we had to go out and find another company that built something similar to that and be sure we could adapt it to the way we were using this equipment. We spent two years evaluating it, actually more than that. We spent two to three years evaluating the different equipment options out there and what the cost would be. So we reached this point of having to make a $4.5 million investment, which again, for our company was just as significant as a $300,000 one was for my father, with a foreign company that was going to take two years to design and build that equipment and then get it over, ship it, and get it up and operating. So you're making, you're betting a huge amount of money on an idea that you think is good and is validated and all, but it's going to take two years to find out whether it's going to work or not. What made this story even more interesting is that, again, once our board member said, you either make the investment or you sell the company, and we further evaluated, did the due diligence, placed the purchase order with a company in Italy. Two weeks later, 9-11 happened. And so there was a lot of discussion about whether or not we should proceed with this investment because we could have backed out at that point in time. Would Seaman Corporation have to walk back that investment decision? Well, in a moment, we will find that out and what they are doing now to reinvest in their company. But first... Established in 1949 and now headquartered in Wooster, Ohio, with additional manufacturing in Bristol, Tennessee, Seaman Corporation is known worldwide for the production of high-value, high-performance fabrics. Among some of the applications, Seaman Corporation fabrics are used for geomembrane liners, architectural structures, truck tarps, roofing membranes, and applications for the military and government. With the combination of a unique puncture-resistant fabric construction with a commitment to superior customer service and satisfaction, Seaman Corporation fabrics exhibit incomparable product performance. Being a part of the Seaman team not only puts you on the forefront of industrial fabric innovation, but also affords some wonderful benefits all housed within a family atmosphere. If this sounds like a place you need to be, visit SeamanCorp.com slash join-our-team. Dash 
Richard Seaman, the chairman of Seaman Corporation, was telling us about the measured risks they have taken buying new machinery to expand their technology. They had just committed to a major machinery purchase when 9-11 happened. Let's find out if they pulled out of this extraordinary deal. Fortunately, we stayed true to it, and I think we did that because it was a measured risk, as I talked about earlier. Uh, our board members had been very much supportive of it. We had done enough through the strategic planning process that we felt this was still a good investment for the future of our company, regardless of what was happening in the short term around the world at that point. Well, the product, the equipment was delivered on time. Uh, we had it up and running. Uh, we were producing quality fabric. We actually helped support the military effort that occurred after 9-11. And um, the equipment was running very, very well for us. When I saw it running after a few months, I could see very quickly that we were gonna run out of capacity with this wider width, the better product. So I went back to Italy to evaluate whether or not to buy a second machine. And we quickly determined that we should while I was over there. The problem was that if we didn't make a commitment within a two-day time period, we would lose our production position with this machinery manufacturing company. And the equipment, instead of being delivered in nine to 10 months for us, would be a year and a half or two years away. So that's when I made a call to our board of directors overnight and got approval to make another significant capital investment. Again, had we not had a good, robust strategic planning process and had we not had the vetting process through our board, we would not have been able to make a decision that quickly. But we made it and it was a good decision. And within a year, we had a second machine running in our Bristol, Tennessee facility. Richard gives us one more example of how their strategic planning process has led them to being nimble enough to make investment decisions quickly and effectively is we buy yarns from domestic or foreign suppliers to produce the yarns. There was one domestic supplier that we'd worked with for years and years and years, and they beam these yarns on large beams and ship us the beams. We got word one afternoon that the parent company of this yarn producer was selling the company and actually closing down the U.S. operations. Our CEO at the time went down there very quickly and saw the equipment, um, saw the yarn that was in inventory that we could use and uh, was able to make a commitment to negotiate the purchase of the beaming equipment and to buy the yarn for warehousing purposes uh, well ahead of any of our competition that also needed the same yarn in the, in the equipment. But we were able to quickly make that decision and negotiate a good price and, and beat our competition at it. The significance of that was a lot of our business is done in the military marketplace, and they require that the products be produced with American-made uh, raw materials. And had we not purchased that yarn, our competition would have purchased it and we would not be able to be competitive in those marketplaces because we would have to purchase yarn from overseas and that would not have qualified uh, to meet what the Berry Amendment requires for industrial textiles for military applications. So again, to be able to be that responsive 
when those opportunities occur is the result of a commitment to reinvestment in, in your, you know, your capital investment. And again, a good strategic planning process and a good vetting process through your governance process that you have. Our plant where we do all of our weaving is in Bristol, Tennessee. This yarn producing plant was in North Carolina. So they were the only ones that had the capability of putting this yarn on these large beams. And we were buying, you know, the beams. Um, it's a very, very delicate kind of process. Cause if you can think about just imagine a thousand threads that are being pulled together at one time and wound at high speeds on a large, a large spool at that point. We call them beams. Um, and not damage the yarn, which is made of a lot of filaments. It it's the technology and the ability to do that's very challenging. In fact, it gave me some hesitancy at first about whether we should jump into that part of the business or not. We actually didn't have any choice, but we were able to move the equipment from North Carolina very quickly to our Bristol, Tennessee facility. And there were several of the people who had worked in North Carolina for 10, 15, some over 20 years, uh, they were going to not have a job. And when we uh, talked to them, they were more than willing to move up to, to Tennessee. Some came up to get us started and then went back to North Carolina. But we we have three or four of those people that continue to work for us today and, and do this beaming process. It uh, allowed us to, to backward integrate a bit and have even more control over our production processes and more flexibility. This story is a prime example of how Seaman Corporation also sees the value in strategic reinvestment of people. Here is Jeff Schwartz, the CEO of Seaman Corporation. Adding capacity was always part of our, our plan uh, over, say, five to seven years. And in our industry, you know, to add significant capacity, typically, you know, you're talking about you know, a three-year construction process and buying equipment. We had the opportunity at the end of last year uh, with a company that was uh, going bankrupt. Uh, we, we found out that they had equipment that is exactly what we need, the calendar process that we need to, uh, to add capacity. So within a, a period of about three weeks, we identified the equipment. We made contact with the sellers we visited the site and we purchased the equipment. So, you know, I think that the fact that we, as a private company, we were able to be very nimble. We were able to get uh, quick approval. And we really, it's really having the foresight that, you know, this is something we're going to need eventually. Uh, and it really, it saved us probably at least a year uh, in the process of, of getting new equipment online. And then similarly, uh, we've been looking, so now we have equipment and no place to put it. So, uh, and we did a, we did an extensive site search across all of the U S and, uh, and made a decision to, to add, um, or to buy land in uh, Tennessee. And we made the purchase of that land. We still don't have a plan yet on the building and the construction and the overall layout. Uh, but we wanted to move quickly and, and get the land purchased so that we have a future site for our, for our plant. I think it starts with having a growth mentality 
and across, and it starts with our strategy. And our strategy is focused on protecting valuable assets. And those assets are, are through the roofing that we provide commercially, geomembranes, buildings that are architectural structures, military installations. And so when you look at those type of segments that we're in, there's a tremendous growth opportunity uh, in those segments. And so it starts with a vision that we know we can be a lot bigger than we are. And what the new capacity will do uh, is, is allow us to more than, more than double our business, in fact, probably triple our business across all of those segments. And there's a lot of work to do to get there, not just obviously building a plant, but commercially, you know, how we reach building owners and decision makers, uh, you know, for the, the, the products that we have that we know are superior, uh, how we get them to decide to, to use our products. And so there's, you know, the, the new plant and capacity is an enabler to the growth, but we have to go out and, and actually, you know, through our sales and marketing efforts, uh, it, you know, be able to realize that on the, on the top line. Scott Burgess, Seaman Corporation's Director of Engineering, is the guy who oversees all of the large capital and construction projects. He knows firsthand the work that goes into planning and implementing such large strategic imperative processes. And we recently, here in the last almost a year ago to the day, actually, uh, were able to act on a piece of calendaring equipment that became available with a bankrupt company. Uh, And we have that equipment sitting in a warehouse right now, ready to go into our eventual new plant that will kind of serve as the heart of that plant uh, from a production standpoint. We look out, we're forward-looking to right now to 2030, and we can estimate that our capacity will be used up sometime early in 2026. So getting this new plant up and running, um, he mentions again in the book that this equipment, a lot of it comes from Europe, and by the time you decide you're going to do it, by the time it's engineered, built, shipped, and installed, you're looking at a two-year cycle. So being very forward-looking is, is really important uh, in this business. Me and my engineers have a Gantt chart built. It's, I think, up to like 360 rows right now. Uh, and it goes out beyond the new plant and, and some further investment than, than just this initial investment for the building and the coding line. But we for sure have to start ordering equipment before we even break ground for the building because the equipment lead time is longer than the building construction time. So we're looking at ordering really long lead items even ahead of having a complete line design. We, we have it sort of partially engineered, uh, but we need to finish that work. The, the machines are very sophisticated. This one uh, will likely have upwards of 200 rolls in it. And, you know, we have to know what's going on with fabric tensions and temperatures and, and speeds and, and just hundreds and hundreds of data points to watch and monitor uh, in the process. And, and we've started doing a lot more with IIoT so and machine learning so that we can be predictive with maintenance and even predictive with quality outcomes. Or maybe we can recognize certain patterns in in some of the machine settings that might yield an undesirable quality result. The company can dream big dreams, and Scott welcomes that. But he also has to be the voice of reason when it comes to timelines and making things happen. As you heard him say, the current endeavor to build a new plant with new machinery is very calculated and a very lengthy timeline. 
Making the decision to grow and executing large purchases is just one aspect of reinvesting in the company. Jeff has to view this from all angles. Reinvestment is very, very important. And investment is very important, especially when you're growing. And it's tempting sometimes to be content with where you are and maybe a little risk averse to to growing. I mean, building a new plant is a potential risk, especially uh, when you don't need the capacity today. Um, Adding people in certain parts of the business to, to go after growth or opportunities that you know are there but don't yet exist is a risk. It's a cost risk. It's a, it's, you know, it has other risks as well. So I'm a very strong believer in reinvesting and investing in, in both, you know, uh, capital projects, equipment, but also people. And to that end, um, we have added tremendous talent in our organization over the last few years and some in areas that we had not even thought of before. And I know that it's going to help us, uh, you know, get to where we want to get to, not just the next couple of years, but helping this business to, to last another 75 years. So, you know, the other, the other thing I think about a lot and we talk about a lot as a leadership team is, is our culture. And as we grow, you know, there's also a risk of, of losing the culture that the company was, was built on. And so we talk about culture as, you know, a very, very important uh, aspect of our company. And we spend a lot of time, you know, developing people, training people, uh, talking about our values, which are do, do what's right, work together and create solutions. We talk about specific examples around that. We recognize people for those things. And so that's a, that's a very important part. Also, uh, not just growth for growth's sake, but we're, we're growing in the right way. Seaman Corporation's commitment to reinvestment is woven into the fabric of every plant they have ever built, every office they have ever remodeled, and every product they've ever made, and in every employee who bears their name. The definition of imperative is something that is of vital importance or crucial. And at Seaman Corporation, their strategy is crucial to the success of the company. You see that in Richard, in Jeff, and Scott. And they continue to lead the company to bigger and better things. We've got an awful lot on our plates right now. Uh, An office expansion in Ohio, a possible office remodel in Tennessee, uh, building a new plant, a new coding line. In the plants we have to plan for, not what's going to be up and running in 2025. We we need to plan the building for what will be running in 2028. And there will be a lot of additional equipment put into the building at that time, over the course of the years leading up to 2028. I like the term strategic imperative. In fact, before reading the book, I'm not sure that I'd heard it before. And it sort of embodies the, our attitude around here. We're, we're always looking for what is the next important investment? What, what's going to keep us going? Because we have these growth targets and the, the most immediate growth target will, will tap out this capacity that I mentioned in 2026. So getting um, these projects off the ground and, and successfully completing them on time is, is very important to the growth of the business. So when I think about the foundation of our company, uh, one of the key principles is reinvestment and thinking about the longer term. And, you know, we, we have a privately held company 
that can be very nimble, very quick in making decisions, but also think about the long term. And so it was founded on having a really good strategy and making sure that strategy is refreshed on a regular basis and a mentality that we're going to reinvest not only in equipment um, and and plants, but also people, our offices, uh, just the, the mentality that we want to reinvest whatever we make into the future growth of the business is something that's allowed us to operate for 75 years and will help us set up the next 75 years. Join us next time as we talk about governance and how critical good governance is to any business looking to sustain multi-generational growth. Until then, I am your host for this episode, Jared Ribble. Thanks for joining me. podcast is a small snippet of the great information housed inside of Richard Seaman's book, A Vibrant Vision, The Entrepreneurship of Multi-Generational Family Business. To have a vision of growing a small family business into a sustainable multi-million dollar business requires distinctive processes that support innovation, human capital development, strategic planning, and quality assurance in manufacturing and service. A Vibrant Vision shares the experiences of the author in his growing family business after his father passed away at a young age and building this industrial fabrics business into a multi-million dollar company, while at the same time encouraging his children and grandchildren to become stewards of this treasure we call a family business. To get your own copy of this book, visit Amazon.com.